Welcome to Legally Empowered. I'm your host, Sahara Pines, and I'm so excited to bring this podcast to you. As an attorney and former business owner myself, I'm passionate about drawing on my own experience and insight to set my female clients up for success. I know my guest today feels the same way. In our inaugural episode, I'm speaking with Tamar Gubins, a corporate attorney in our New York office. As a truly business-oriented attorney, Tamar advises emerging companies on formation, financing, corporate governance, public offerings, as well as technology transactions and privacy and data security. Wow, that's a mouthful. Tamar and I are here today to chat about startups and setting up your corporate structure. Thanks so much for being here, Tamar. Looking forward to it. It's my pleasure, Sahara. It's, um, this is not the sexiest topic for entrepreneurs, but it turns out it's really important. So I'm glad to be here to talk about it. And I'm excited to have you. So before coming to Fox, I had my own HR consulting business and I never formed a corporate entity. I just operated as a DBA or as an individual. Um, And at one point I wanted to scale and start to hire employees, but didn't really know how to go about doing that. Um, What do you think? Was, Was the DBA or sole proprietor a mistake? Well, so it's really common for people to start building businesses before they create a legal entity for that business. Uh, When you first start a company, you're really concerned about costs and you're really focused on just getting it up and running. And you do not have the time or the energy or resources uh, to pay lawyers and file paperwork uh, and pay fees associated with forming a new business. So it is perfectly understandable that that's how you started your business. Why should you form a business though? The most important thing is liability. You do not want to be personally liable if somebody sues you. Uh, And so if you form an illegal entity, uh, which is different than a sole proprietorship, you personally generally will not have any legal liability and that's really important for you. There are other considerations like taxes, ownership, management and control, um, investment, things like that. But the most important issue for you is that you don't want to have personal liability. No, that makes absolute sense. And that's basically why I didn't do it at the time. Um, And I want to get back to the cost issue because I know that's a big one for startups. But um, when should you even begin to start thinking about forming the legal entity um, in, in your journey? I'm a lawyer, so the right answer for me is immediately before you do absolutely anything <laughs> right. else. But look, I, I, even lawyers understand that this is not practical advice for most people. Um, so I, I think there's a few different times uh, to consider. If you're a solo entrepreneur like you were with your HR consulting business, I think the most important drop dead, you must get this done and form a legal entity for your business is when you start entering into agreements or contracts with other people. So if you start selling your product or your service, if you start hiring employees or contractors, if you're going to sign a lease or enter into an agreement with uh, a third party maybe to produce your product, or if you're gonna raise money, you definitely at that point need to form a legal entity for your business. It may be that if you Uh, are in a business with other people, you might want to form your business earlier than that. Many businesses are are started with a few people and an idea, and they're working together to get it running and off the ground. 
if you don't form a legal entity at that point, it's not clear who makes the decisions about the business, who owns what in the business, and whether or not the business owns the intellectual property you're developing as you work with your partners. The last thing you want to do is spend six months with a few co-founders working on an idea and a business, and then all of a sudden the co-founder decides they don't want to be involved. They take the work they've done and they go somewhere else. If you form a legal entity, you uh, minimize that risk because the entity owns any of the work product you've been working on all this time. So a little off topic, but then does forming a partnership agreement um, come into play here or are these issues solved by the corporate formation process? So you can have certain kinds of partnerships um, that are not legal entities. And that does help a little bit, especially if you have a written partnership agreement, but you have not solved the biggest problem that you want to solve, which is personal liability. That's why you want to end up with one of these legal entities. With those type, different types of legal entities, you can still have what is effectively a partnership agreement. It might not be called that, but it's still a legal contract by which the founders agree to run their business. Um, but you, you need the legal entity even, even before you get there because that's the most important thing. Okay, so I don't even know about all of the different structure options. Um, there are probably many, many, but can you outline some of the most popular ones for us? Yes. So I, I think, you know, as, as I've been talking about liability, um, the, the two general categories that are most important to understand are the structures that happen um, where you have not protected yourself against personal, personal liability. And that's what you were talking about at the beginning, a, a sole proprietorship where you're just running the business um, in, you know, maybe a, an, a, you've made up a name for it, but you haven't created a formal entity. You can do the same thing as well um, as we just discussed with a general partnership where if you are not just one person, partners share the control and the decision making. But in both of those cases, there's still unlimited personal liability for the owners. It's pretty hard to transfer ownership, but the benefit is there's you know no for very few formalities. You don't need to file with a state. You don't need to pay taxes. However, no taxes. Everybody loves no taxes, right? <laughs> everybody loves no taxes um, as an entity, right? You still need to pay personal taxes um, related oh, darn. to. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Uh, there's, there's no getting away from taxes, unfortunately, in the end. Uh, but you don't need to pay corporate taxes or, or deal with uh, corporate filing fees uh, for having filed with a state. But you want to be in the world of limited personal liability. And the, the two entities that are most applicable to entrepreneurs uh, who are going to be listening to this are corporations and limited liability companies. And both of those are separate legal entities you form under state law and provides that limited liability for the owners. Which one you want depends on a, a lot of different factors, but the two primary concerns are tax considerations and your fundraising plans. Okay, so can you give us a little bit of an overview of corporations? I know there's different kinds, although admittedly, I don't really know the difference between like an S or a C corp. And then 
I, I feel like a lot of the companies that I work with, maybe the smaller companies are LLCs. And I guess part and parcel of that is like, do you ever change your corporate entity down the road? Or once you go with it, you pretty much stick with it? Absolutely. We, th- th- there's a lot to unpack there, but we'll start <laughs> with corporations versus LLCs. Um, So a corporation, owners are shareholders, and it's generally managed by a board of directors and officers of the company. The corporations have um, a fairly structured corporate structure. There are a lot of formalities you have to follow. They're fairly rigid and usually well laid out under state law, but they're pretty clear what you have to do as long as you have the right sort of advice and advisors. What many people think are a downside of corporations, but as we'll talk about, it's not quite so clear, is corporations are subject to double taxation generally. What that means is that the corporation is taxed on its income, and then shareholders are also taxed if profits are distributed to the shareholders. So, right, the money is taxed when it comes into the corporation as income, and then when that post-tax income is distributed to shareholders, the shareholders themselves are taxed. Sure. There are some types of corporations called S-corporations, which is a tax election, which may give you the pass-through taxation benefits, but you have to fulfill a number of requirements to qualify as an S-corporation, which makes it not the best choice for many startups, particularly if they're going to be taking in outside investments. So I feel like I've heard other attorneys at Fox say that, that they've kept the corporate minutes for different corporations um, who are clients and help them with sort of the the corporate formalities. Um, is that something that you do as well or that, that helps um, business owners so that they don't have to know all the nuances of the laws? Absolutely. We do that for our clients all the time. Um, you know, first we, we form the company and we deal with the formalities at the beginning, right? We create bylaws, which are the rules of the company, which I am going um, to go out on a limb and say 99.9% of my clients have never actually read their own bylaws. Just like my employee um, handbooks. Don't worry about it. <laughs> exactly. It's a check the box sort of item. But that's why they rely on us, right? Um, the value we add. Uh, the corporate formalities with a, a C-Corp are things like you're going to want to have your board approve certain actions. If they're going to give away equity, for example, employee options, if they're going to raise money, things like that. Um, but generally, those are the kinds of things our clients come to us for anyway because they need additional help and paperwork to work through that. And so we can advise on what formalities they have to follow at the time. Okay, great. So what about LLCs? How is that different? LLCs are more flexible as a structure, and they have many, uh, many fewer formal corporate formalities that are dictated by law. Instead, LLCs have an operating agreement, and their governance is laid out in that operating agreement. So it could be that there's very little governance or it could be that there's lots of governance. It depends on how you lay out your operating agreement. With LLCs, the tax um, structure generally is that it is passed through taxation. So income tax is only taxed once, but it's paid by the individual owners and not the business. The LLC generally is a more complicated uh, tax 
structure. Um, they're uh, unlike corporations, it's not so cookie cutter, and many um, there's many different considerations that go in. So you often need uh, more complicated tax advice, both from your accountants and from your lawyers, and that means your upfront costs of, of creating it and getting the best structure are going to be higher. I, I want to add that we've talked about taxation, and double taxation sounds bad, and it makes most people think that, of course, it, an LLC would be a better choice. Who wants to be taxed twice? But it is actually more complicated than that, um, and your choice of entity depends on many factors. The fact is corporations are generally easier and cheaper to form, easier to manage, easier to sell and have investors interested uh, because that's what they want to invest in. It's easier to issue equity to employees from a corporation. Uh, dealing with your personal taxes as an owner of an LLC is generally a lot more complicated than if you were simply an owner of shares in a corporation. So there's, there's a lot of mm -hmm. considerations and, and tax is only one of them. And it's not even clear that just because one has double taxation and one has pass-through taxation that an LLC is better. That also right. depends on what kind of business, whether you're going to distribute profits or reinvest them, uh, tax rates, which change over time. We had a big tax overhaul in 2018 where the owner lives because state taxes are higher in some places than in others. So there's a a lot of consideration, which, which leads us to the answer of which is better from a tax perspective. <laughs> Lawyer's favorite answer, it depends. It depends. That's right. It always does. <laughs> so um, I know one of the, the biggest considerations for startups is always fundraising. Um, so how does that factor in to the decision to form a corporation versus LLC? Yeah, and this is what drives, frankly, most of my clients to choose to become uh, corporations, C-corporations. Um, it, it depends on what kind of business we're talking about. If we're talking about a small local business with a single owner or two who never expects to raise money, perhaps a local restaurant or uh, a salon-type business, then it might make sense to be an LLC. You'd have to talk about it with your accountants, but that might make more sense. For my clients, they're all looking to raise outside money, usually from venture capital firms. And venture capital firms almost entirely want you to be a Delaware corporation. That's mm. what they're used to investing in. There are form documents which make the paperwork a lot easier on both sides. It's easier to give out equity to employees like options, which is important for most of my clients. And so that's what they want to see. As a result, if a company has formed in a different structure like an LLC, they often will force them to convert into a corporation before they'll invest. So if you start off as an LLC, even if there are good reasons to do that, if you know that your investors are going to make you switch, it just makes more sense mm -hmm. to start off in the form that you know you're going to have to become anyway. Okay, so what's the deal with Delaware? Why is it always Delaware? Because I know from an employment perspective, it doesn't really matter that your uh, corporate formation documents are done under Delaware choice of law. The choice of law is going to depend on where your employees are located and um, you know where where they're doing business. So um, why why is that so important, and why do the VCs care about it? 
Well, Delaware is very pro-business, um, and that's why a lot of businesses are incorporated there. They have very clear, detailed statutes about corporate law. They have a lot of case law, so there's a lot of settled business issues. And then they're also really responsive to business needs because they want all of these companies to be Delaware companies. You are correct, and this comes up a lot, that uh, where employees located um, is what matters for a lot of labor laws. But for many other things, the fact that you're a Delaware corporation, you could use Delaware law. Uh, and that's a benefit, particularly if you're in a state that is not quite so pro-business or is not as easy to operate in. Um, Hi, in California. <laughs> exactly. California is definitely uh, on the top of many people's minds. There are things you can't get around. Um, you know, you can't get around all of California laws just by being a, a Delaware corporation, but there are some things that make it easier. Recently, I had a Delaware company that um, was in the process of selling itself for $80 million. And for a variety of reasons, they needed to make a filing in a Rocky Mountain state before they could finalize the sale. In Delaware, the same filing would have taken no more than 24 hours and we would have been done. In this state, we couldn't make the filing online. We had to send it in a hard copy. It would take them 10 days to respond after they've received the hard copy. And then after that, when there was a minor error, we had to start the whole process and timeline again. Nobody wow. wants to be told they can't finalize an $80 million deal for a month because there's a state that won't process a form very quickly. <laughs> That's Delaware the truth. tends to be very pro-business that way. Wow. Okay. And what about um, registering in other states? Like when do you need to think about filling out paperwork in a different state other than Delaware? Yeah, you know, this is one of those things where um, every state wants you to register because that means they get fees and uh, and some taxes. And So, so that's they, like you know, Secretary they, of State? What they want you to do is file as what they call a foreign corporation in their state. What that just means is you were registered originally in a different state like Delaware, and so you are foreign to that state in which you are registering it. Now, when do you actually need to do it? Because we've got 50 states and most entrepreneurs do not want to spend their time and their money filling out forms and uh, doing filing fees. Right. But especially now when like everybody's working from home, you know, I have clients coming and saying, well, we basically have employees in all 50 states. Like what, what do we need to do here? It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. That, that actually is, is a difficult one. Um, and, and that is certainly a pandemic um, issue here. States would like it if you even ever thought about their state and your business in the same thought bubble in your mind, they would like you to file there. Because <laughs> as I said, they, they want those fees. We generally counsel our startup clients um, to register as a foreign corporation anywhere where they've got a physical presence, like their main offices or a store or a, a distribution facility or something like that. Also, we generally tell them to file where they have employees physically located. And as you just brought up with the pandemic, that's become pretty difficult. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, it, this is one area where I think people should work with their payroll providers because often their payroll providers will dictate what they have to do. Some will not put employees on the payroll through their service unless you have filed in that state. 
Yeah, we've we've been seeing a large uptick in that area and um, people not even realizing sometimes that their employees are working from different states um, and then want to seek unemployment in that state or want to uh, collect state disability for some reason or some or something, you know, some other state benefit that that comes up. And um, of course, there's a taxation issue, which we're, we're not going to touch with a 10 foot pole today. Um, <laughs> So we talked a little bit about costs and it all is seeming like very daunting, like so much paperwork, um, so much time, so much effort. Like what are some resources for entrepreneurs to help get this stuff set up? Is it like go to an online website and you register your your corporation or um, how, how, how can we help um, and what other resources do do we have for for startups? Sure. You know, uh, entrepreneurs can, of course, go and, and file forms themselves and, and do these filings in the state. It is not so easy to figure out exactly what you need. And as I said, some of these things really matter in the long run. Uh, there are also services that will essentially send you forms to fill out and then file them for you. In my personal experience, I tend to spend more time fixing problems from those services once the companies come to me. Um, so I, I'm not a big fan of most of them uh, because I just don't think that they provide enough handholding or nuance for entrepreneurs to really understand what they're doing and, and get it set up correctly. Well, it's like um, garbage in, garbage out, right? If you fill out the wrong stuff on the form, that's what these companies are inputting, which, you know, sometimes is the same with these payroll companies that, that we tend to see. That's exactly right. Uh, so Fox Rothschild recognizes that this is a difficult process. It's time consuming. Expenses can quickly add up, especially with most lawyers who charge hourly fees. So we've created a special startup package to help entrepreneurs launch businesses, and we cap it at, at $5,000. Um, this package provides initial formation documents to get you started. Uh, state filings, your bylaws, which as we've just discussed, you'll probably never read. Um, we help you appoint your board and your officers. We make sure you issue equity to your owners correctly. So this um, is all then, corporation, right? This is all if you're um, looking at setting up uh, an, an S-Corp? If you're looking at setting up a C-Corp or oh, C -Corp. an S-Corp, it would be okay, the same, great. right? The S-Corp is just a tax election. Um, so it's unrelated to how you form the company. It's 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 an accounting issue more than a a legal issue, uh, and we can frankly do this with LLCs too if that's the choice. As I said, my preference generally for the kinds of companies who are coming to me and and to Fox is to set them up as a C corp. But we can always talk about setting a company up as an LLC as well if if that's the right choice for the client. I uh, know that's great. Um, I I know that with the LLCs, there's a whole bunch of different questions and different ways that it can be done. So sometimes the the one size fits all package may not be the the right way to go with it. But um, but it's great to know that that at least our firm has options and um, they can get sort of individualized attention where where they're at. I, I get the uh, do it yourself thing is is not always the easiest approach. Absolutely, and and I think for you. And your practice, uh, you'll be glad to know that we also help with the early employee documents to make sure that any employees 
have signed documents where they keep your information confidential, um, that they assign intellectual property to the company, like if they design your logo or they help formulate your product or code your software. And that's really essential to get right at the beginning because it can become something, often it's fixable, but not always. Um, I, so I if agree. You have an, if you had an employee who uh, moved on or the relationship went sour and you then need to try to clean up an IP assignment after the fact, that can be very, very difficult. So this is definitely one of those things that we want our clients to get right from the absolute start. Absolutely. So um, once the entity is formed and they've got that under control, what's what's next? I mean, other than operating their actual business. <laughs> right. That's the most important thing to go out and operate your business. But I think one of the, the key things that, that people should work towards is um, that you actually have to operate your business as a business. Now that you've created this entity, this is not just you working out of your kitchen. Um, this is now a real business. And while forming the business is the most important hurdle for getting that limited personal liability, there are situations where you might be held liable if it looks like it really isn't a separate entity, right? You formed it, but you're not treating it as if it's separate from you. Um, so the first thing people should do is go out and open up a bank account in the name of the business. Pay your bill from that bank account and don't mix your personal funds and company funds. Other than that, anything you can do that shows that the business is separate from the owners is always a good thing. So things like having a separate office or a separate business mailing address on the phone, having a separate email address from your personal one, using company letterhead, uh, following other corporate formalities like recording board minutes, things like that will make it very clear that you are a real entity that is separate from the owners. If you have two separate entities, how does having multiple entities factor in as well? Because um, I know sometimes there's trading of employees or they use the same documents for, for multiple entities. Um, and I feel like that could totally create uh, a problem on the liability front. Absolutely, it can. Um, the liability in part is that you might not be able to shield one of those entities from liabilities of the other entity if effectively you've made it look like they're the same entity because they use the same bank account and the same employees and things like that. So, you know, in a situation like that, again, have different bank accounts for the different entities. If you are going to share employees, then maybe you need to have an intercompany agreement where you say uh, why you're sharing and if you're, you know, one entity is going to pay the services of the other entity things that make them look like true separate entities and not, you know, just something somebody set up for liability purposes to shield one from the other. Yeah, I mean, we could talk all day and I think I'll have to have you come back and um, maybe talk about uh, equity agreements and stock options and uh, a, a whole host of other topics. Um, but I thank you so much, Tamar, for joining me for our very first episode of Legally Empowered. And I'm so glad that we could share your insights into how startups could set their corporate structures up and provide the advice to get new businesses headed in the right direction. I am so glad to be here um, and talking to you about these issues. 
And I know that we just spent uh, a fair amount of time talking about in the weeds details that perhaps many entrepreneurs uh, makes their eyes roll into the back of their heads. But at the end of the day, you get this done, and then they can go out and build their business, which is what they really want to do. And we're here to help protect them as they do that. Thanks, Tamar. Thank you.